Southern Company is an industry leader in resilience and innovation. They're making energy smarter and more sustainable for the nine million customers they serve across the country, from modernizing their infrastructure to setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Southern Company is committed to building a resilient energy future today and for the generations to come. Learn more at southerncompany.com/resilience. Southern Company building the future of energy. I think I think let's try this, Dan. I think this connection's okay. We're just recording it for the audio, not the video. Okay, so I so I can take my shirt off or put on a, a baseball hat or go for it, man. <laughs> um, hello, everybody. Welcome to my Zoom Nerdcast call. So it's that time of year. It's the middle of campaign season, where presidential candidates would normally be flying. Here, there, and everywhere, to vote-rich swing state cities like Milwaukee and Philadelphia and Detroit, and also to places that are just plain rich—Malibu, the Hamptons, Martha's Vineyard, Jackson Hole—in search of fundraisers with big-dollar donors to power their campaigns. Donors like Dan, actually. Before the pandemic,、um, you know, you have kind of you know a rolodex of people, and you can call people. And these in-person fundraising events are the bedrock of political fundraising. The money raised from donors who get to Gladhand to meet the candidate in person. This is the main way that campaigns have been financed for decades. Anyway, this year nobody is flying anywhere. So what happens when a global pandemic takes away in-person donor events? You're muted. Sorry. They all come here to Zoom. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Hello. Okay. Scott, we've got、uh, Dan Everhart. Good.、Uh, hi. My apologies. I'm sorry. I thought this was in two hours. I got、gotcha. you. I got、gotcha, you. I got、gotcha. you. He's CEO of Canary. He raises a lot of money for Republican candidates. Dan, including President Trump, several Senate candidates, etc. Can you hear me? And over here, I'm going to introduce you to Tim Lim, a Democratic strategist. Why am I doing this? Why? Why? Why am I subjecting myself? What I tell myself is this is helping the movement. And I'm Scott Bland, host of Nerdcast. And I'm Annie Reese, Scott Bland's producer, and I'm facilitating this Zoom call. There, there are some telltale signs that you can can know that something's going to go wrong. My connection is good, so this is off to a good start. When the event starts,、uh, there is a direct correlation between、uh, when it's supposed to start and when it actually starts. That amount of time、uh, is an exponential factor of how screwed up the event's going to be when it starts. When Joe Biden announced Kamala Harris as his running mate this week. The campaign raised twenty-six million dollars in twenty-four hours. That's their biggest daily fundraising total to date, and of course, that was all online because it had to be. And listeners, it is a lot cheaper to put on an event online. If if you are spending more money、uh, on something, then、uh, you're doing it wrong. This Zoom call, for example, cost me approximately zero dollars. And just like with many of the fundraisers here on Nerdcast Zoom, we have private rooms for very special guests. So I've set up a private room for you, Scott and Tim, to talk about how in the world you get donors to pay a lot of money just to click on a Zoom link. Thanks, Annie. Have a great time, guys. As a person who worked in digital advertising, digital fundraising, you were at the the forefront of a lot of disruption in campaigns over the last decade, decade and a half. Scott, sorry, you broke up just a little bit there. So I think I heard your question correct.、Uh, oh, sorry. But、uh, yeah, I mean, d- disruption、uh, definitely in the last decade. 
in the last three months, it's that plus. I mean, it, it, the disruption has been epic. The industry is completely different uh, and, and campaigning's forever changed. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things we're doing in this series. We're looking at the way that coronavirus has like completely upended the normal practices of a campaign season. And one of those big disruptions has been in fundraising. It's all online. And so what, what does that even mean right now? Like, what, how are people doing it? People are, are uh, campaigns and organizations uh, are, are pulling it off somehow, you know, right now. It, it's, a, it's a really uh, weird world to be in if you are a, a fundraiser. On the, the good side, I mean, it, it's, it's very easy to set up a fundraiser now. You don't need to rent out a restaurant. You don't need to find an office space. You don't need to claw after the candidate schedule or make sure that they, you know, need to get on the plane. Uh, you just got to set, you know, you just got to make sure that they're, they have a computer and a good Wi-Fi connection. Uh, and so, you know, from an overhead I it's, cost, it's I just mean, like, you know, trying to, trying to find know, time to talk ROI to your friends right now, right? Just exponentially <laughs> jumped. Right. Sorry, I, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, Scott, I, you're, you're kind of breaking in and out. So I, I caught like half of that question or, or comment. Uh, you know what, let me, um, let me, let me dial in from my phone instead of, instead of using the internet. Uh, give me, give me, give me a second. I, I've been <laughs> I've been guessing at some of these questions, so I'm like, think he's asking this question, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna run with it. Hey everyone. Yes, I am back. Is this better? Yeah, and and, and here's the thing: some people are like are exhausted by the zooms. <laughs> so uh, what's what's happening is that uh, in a lot of cases, people will just donate and they won't even go on the Zoom because they're just exhausted. So it's even better. You're just getting the donation and you don't have to do much work for it. Coronavirus is an anti-corruption uh, measure, right? It's the <laughs> no more donor glad handings. People just <laughs> are sick of using the program. Yeah, because <laughs> you're not able to get the, the clutch. You're not getting the photo. I mean, the, the most you can get is a one-on-one interaction on Zoom, right? Which, I mean... Unless you're screenshotting like yourself next to a, next to a candidate, uh, which I have done, and said, "Hey, look, I got into the clutch. I, I did it. I wasn't in the clutch, but I, you know, I joked to my friends <laughs> that I did." That's the level of attainment you can get. And when you say clutch, can you just define that? Yeah, so it's a regular fundraising practice where you'll have a um, VIP reception uh, beforehand, and that's for people who are host who have you know gotten other people to donate or who have donated uh, a lot themselves. And it's a smaller kind of more intimate setting for the donors and the candidate or the or the executive director or the or the special guest, whoever that is. Uh, and then after that, you have the more general event with everybody else. So I guess what we're going on five months now of social distancing of pa- pandemic fueled lockdowns. Do you think overall it's made things easier or harder, opened up opportunities that people had never thought about before? What, how, what do you think the, the overall effect of all this has been? What's really hard is to be able to kind of extrapolate the impact that Donald Trump has had on online fundraising. If Donald Trump wasn't in the picture, would we be raising the kinds of, uh, of dollars? Would we be having the astronomical grassroots donor activation that we've been seeing today? A lot of that has you know, helped to kind of mitigate the impact of COVID on online fundraising numbers. So there is a real question there, but there, there is absolutely no question that online fundraising uh, in the progressive movement for candidates, for organizations is skyrocketed. You look at Act Blue numbers, I mean, they're, we're talking about all-time highs. 
not just for candidates, but for organiz- you know organizations, racial justice organizations, and others. So it's really a sign of the the times that you can see these you know these astronomical fundraising numbers during a pandemic and during you know what would be I think you know by next quarter we're going to call a recession. You know, I think a lot of people were worried at the beginning of of this that the traditional fundraising model that Biden has relied on so heavily would completely fall apart uh, with with the move to you know the, these like virtual meetings. And I think the the point you made uh, was really interesting, just pointing out that deep antipathy toward Trump that Democratic donors have, and maybe that's kind of the glue holding this weird Zoom fundraising world uh, together. Just seeing the spikes in online fundraising across the board, right? It's, I mean, Biden's numbers obviously are astronomically amazing. I mean, their team has done a fan, like, you know, a, a fantastic, uh, out of this world job, having outraised Donald Trump, right, by by every every month, last quarter, etc. When you go in deeper and you look at the Senate campaigns, the House campaigns, you look at uh, the C4s, you look at the racial justice organizations across the board. These fundraising numbers uh, have been. Um, uh, amazing have been astronomical and and so it's n- not just the fact that the that the pandemic has taken the ability to way do in person events but with so many people losing their jobs with the economy you know going down you know in performance it, there was an expectation that fundraising would take a big hit and and if you look at the numbers really the only hit you know dip you'll see is part of you know part of march but then april you know it it, it comes roaring back in the second quarter so you know, th- these, this election is going to break uh, records, spending and raising r- records uh, across the board. Yeah, I mean, even before coronavirus and before Donald Trump, online fundraising had been steadily increasing and increasing. So what do you think having this enormous new amount of online activity changes? Will this, will this fundraising infrastructure survive? Will we have to adapt? To me, that's the, that, that's the bigger question uh, going moving forward, because I think COVID... And the pandemic has has fundamentally altered fundraising. I, I think the it has fundamentally changed society. We're we're just not going to see a lot of in person events moving forward. But the way that we are fundraising, the the what the reason for people to give dollars, I think, is going to matter uh, more importantly. Right, right, right. That's in 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 some ways the situation has made has made that that motivation even more urgent uh, for for a lot of people. Even if you know maybe maybe the venue has changed because of it for a campaign or for organization. This is a much better way for them to fundraise, right? This is much, it's much easier. It's lower overhead. They're going to try to keep on doing it this way, you know, for as long as time will permit. You know, the cost, the stress, the logistics, all of that is eased when you can just make it all virtual. Right. And when you say this way, you're not just talking about building an email list, you know, running a text campaign and social media advertising and everything. You're talking about actually, you know, kind of organizing like a, a Zoom event or a virtual grassroots fundraiser or, or whatever you want to call it that you think is going to persist as well. Yeah, exactly. Even if, let's say, let's say there is a vaccine quickly and we're all able to get that done, are people really going to be comfortable going into a crowded room? There's, there's going to be a lot of societal cultural shifts happening. And so I, I, I think, you know, what you're seeing today is going to be the norm for the next two years, at least. E- even once there's a vaccine, there's going to be a lot of muscle memory to undo. Or maybe some people won't want to undo it. <laughs> or not, and people don't, some people won't want to do it. Some people are just going to be afraid. I mean, some people will be like, well, did, did this person get the vaccine or not? I mean, the world today as it is right now is going to be more similar, you know, in two years than what it was in January 2020. 
That's an interesting point. I, I think what COVID and the pandemic has done has it, it's made um, your your the digital strategist the most important person in the room because um, whether it's communications, field, fundraising, whatever it is, uh, that person uh, is going to be integral in making sure that all the programs are implemented. Um, that's 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 quite a change from kind of the early days of fighting for a seat at the table that that the folks doing online advertising, online fundraising um, had to had to deal with uh, a decade or two ago. I, I would I would say uh, six months ago. I mean, it's not just a decade ago. I mean, this is still, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a situation that was happening, you know, even in the in the primaries. I started off in field. Like I was a field organizer when I started off. One of my first campaigns was Howard Dean, 2003 in New Hampshire, knocking on doors in, in Concord. And so, mm. you know, for me, you know, I, I I grew up in campaigns. That that it's it's you know I I grew up doing or a field and and door knocking. I am 100 percent right on board with the notion that that face to face communication is the most powerful way to engage. I concede that argument so quickly. It, it, but in a pandemic where the trans the transmission of a virus that's life threatening is so easy and so quick, you can't. I mean that you can't risk that. And so yes, it requires you know campaigns and organizations. It requires decision makers to start putting you know folks with online communications experience at the table, listening to them, listening to their 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 experiences, listening to what should be done to adapt. Uh, because if you don't do that, you're basically just trying to run an, an, an old playbook for a, a completely different universe. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Uh, we were almost out of time anyway. I guess we lost him. We'll be right back. For over 100 years, Southern Company has been providing the resilient energy solutions their customers and communities count on, no matter what. They're committed to building a brighter tomorrow and improving their customers' quality of life by setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions and investing in local communities. Learn more about why Southern Company believes resilient people make resilience possible at southerncompany.com slash resilience. Southern Company, building the future of energy. And we're back. Scott, here's your next Zoom breakout room with GOP donor Dan Eberhardt. So my name is Dan Eberhardt. I'm the CEO of Canary, but I also spend a lot of time, you know, both as a, a GOP donor and kind of fundraising for Republicans running for office, including President Trump, several Senate candidates, et cetera. And, you know, that's, I guess, more of my passion, um, if, if you would. You know, when when did your political involvement become a, a fundraising involvement when, you know, the in, in terms of donating yourself and trying to get other people to donate? Um, I mean, I've probably been at that for five years, maybe maybe a bit longer before the pandemic. Um, you know, you have a kind of, you know, a Rolodex of people and you can call people. Now there's a, a real reluctance to just flat call people because people's businesses, you know, are affected in different ways, some very negatively. I feel like folks are kind of a lot more, the, the internet is very leveling in terms of geographies matter less, but people at the same time are also more focused on their community, their family, their kids' school, and, and those kind of hyper-local issues. And then also, I think, you know, a lot of donors, especially folks that max out, they really, really want to feel part of the process. They want to be in the room, rub shoulders with, um, you know, the elected or aspiring official and be a part of the process that way. It's, it's just all different now. It sounds like it's making things way harder for fundraisers. Well, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a lot harder to not have an event 
to not have an event to kind of rally around. You want to make the event a success. Mm-hmm. You know, two or three people there. So it's easier to get another two or three people to go. And, you know, somebody exciting is coming to town. You know, Marco Rubio is coming to town or Josh Hawley is coming to town. And so it's, it's really much more a bunch of, you know, isolated one-offs. And, you know, it may be excited, exciting to get, you know, a member or a candidate on the phone or on a Zoom call for five minutes or 15 minutes or whatever, but definitely not the same excitement as, you know, such and such person is going to be in your town and, and this kind of rally around wanting to make the event a success. Like you just don't have that same kind of feeling or uh, impact right now. Also, it's, it's probably a little awkward, right? It's a little more awkward on Zoom. You know, it's a great leveling effect, but it also is a bit stilted and a bit, <laughs> the joke can go flat or you can misread the room. I also think a lot of these politicians are really relying more and more on polling and less and less on gut. So for, for both fundraisers and for rallies and stuff, you know, you're running for Congress, you're running for governor or whatever. Well, you, you give your stump, stump speech eight times or 15 times or whatever, you know what works, what the audience likes. Okay, that's the red meat. Okay, that doesn't go over so well. You know, a bunch of one-on-one Zoom calls, you're not getting the same feedback. And so your kind of gut reaction to this works in a room, this doesn't work in a room, I think is really a lot different. And so this makes um, these politicians have to rely a lot more on polling and a lot less on kind of their personal um you know, a history of saying things in a room for both fundraisers and for, you know, rallies. Have you witnessed anything in, in the past few months that just stuck out to you as like, oh, whoa, like the, the personal connection is re- really missing here? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on a, uh, I've been on a couple of calls, one with, um, let me remain unnamed, but a member of the U.S. Senate. And <laughs> it, it was like, just kind of like the opening chit chat just didn't work. The, the first two minutes just was a complete misfire. Something positive that happened that I, I never thought I would say is a few weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with Dick Cheney, who, you know, for better or worse, may, let's say, not not really know how to work Zoom terribly well. But <laughs> anyway, I, I'm a big fan of his, and um, I've been to his house in Wyoming a couple of times. And that was, you know, the highlight of my week or month or whatever. And I just thought that was... Um, a really cool way for you know technology to bring me a little bit closer to someone of importance, a great American. I thought that was pretty cool. Among Democratic donors, Trump is such a divisive figure that it's been easy to raise money, even with all these challenges, because people are willing to overlook the fact that you know there there are no these in person events. They have to do Zoom events. Um, they just give anyways. But as much as Trump inspires that on on the left, he also inspires a, a lot on. Of, of loyalty on the right. I mean, have, have you seen any any of that, of that kind of surprising continued engagement? The Democrats are ahead of the Republicans in terms of small dollar donors and mobilizing a small donor army. The the very, very large notable exception to that, of course, is Trump. Um, Trump is actually better with small dollar donors than Biden could ever be. Mm-hmm. One of my concerns is that if Trump exits the stage, you know, obviously, you know, I'm for Trump. I want Trump to win. I think he's likely to win for a host of reasons. But if Biden wins, when the tide goes out, the Republicans are going to find that they're further behind with small dollar donors and going to be much more reliant on big dollar donors than even a lot of these strategists and, and fundraising experts think, to be honest. Now that WinRed exists, I, I would love to know what percentage of 
the donors to the other candidates giving through WinRed are also Trump donors. You know what I mean? Like, is it just is is the is the Venn diagram just a big circle, and, and then everyone else is inside the Trump circle, or how big is the the universe of other online donors who who on on the Republican side who don't give to Trump? I've had that conversation with um, a few people, actually. And I think that when the dust settles, what the data is going to show is that there are a lot of kind of max out donors that are Trump donors or people that Trump has brought into the Republican Party or at least brought into the giving that either historically didn't give to federal or national candidates and definitely didn't give to other people in the presidential primary or you know, in the immediate past couple of presidential election cycles. So I think Trump has brought donors into the party. And then the, the flip side of this is, I think a lot of the established donors were not with Trump in the 2016 cycle. And only some of those folks have gotten on board in the 2020 cycle. So for instance, you know, for myself personally, I was originally with Scott Walker in the 2016 cycle. And it, you know, it, it took me a little while to get on board with Trump, but then, you know, I, you know, grew increasingly warm to him and embraced his policies. But Trump is in a lot of ways a populist that took over the Republican Party and remade it in the image of himself. And some of the traditional donors just didn't get on board with that. So think like your kind of Jeb Bush class Republican donors. Some of those made the conversion, but some didn't. So I think you see Trump having brought new donors into the party, but also some that have just sat out the last four years. You were you were quoted in a piece recently about some of the Republican super PACs having trouble uh, compared to their Democratic counterparts. Actually, it's it's interesting seeing Trump have such success with the small dollar donors, but the in the super PAC world, which has been a traditional, well, traditional. I say you know we've had super PACs for what ten years now, um, but it's been a strength for Republicans in in, in recent elections, and and the, the Democratic groups are doing better uh, this time. Do you think that's a, a a a Trump thing? Do you think that's a coronavirus thing? Do you think it, it is something to do with the, you know, the the kind of relationships with the with the particular groups that are that are boosting Trump on the right versus the ones that are set up to to be for Biden. First, let me say I, I got a lot of heat for those comments. Um, <laughs> some folks were less than pleased with me having said that. But I look, I, I'm a Republican. I want us to win, but I also think, um, you know, we've got to look in the mirror and be honest and you know give accurate assessment of kind of where we are. And I think we're you know, losing at halftime and the, the air supports provided by the super PACs is we've, we've been getting clobbered, which is what I said. Yeah. I think there's an enthusiasm gap among super donors and it's easier. I think it's easier to get when you're out of power to be, you know, fomented up about taking the ball and winning and getting the rock back, so to speak. Um, and it's maybe less easy to get fired up when you're already inside the tent. And so I think that from that standpoint, Trump has got that working against him. I also think that, you know, Trump may spend less time kind of coddling these types of donors as, you know, the, the prime example being, you know, what's kind of come out in the papers on Adelson in the past, what is that, a week, a week old story now. But... I, I do think this is a big problem. Look, we're getting in in the, the Senate campaigns too. every competitive Senate race, the Democrat or Democratic incumbent or challenger has more than the Republican incumbent or challenger, right? Mm-hmm. In the, the five or six most competitive Senate races. So and in February, I believe like Trump and the RNC had about a $200 million advantage over Biden and the DNC. And that advantage has shrunk to $50 million. 
and probably will be close to zero when the next set of numbers come out. Right. So I, I think there's an enthusiasm gap among donors that we're seeing. As a Republican donor, can you give me a sense of what that means in terms of your your days or your weeks, you know, your schedule and your your, your fundraising commitments? What does what does it look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, first first of all, let me just say, you know, I have a, a full time job and I and I don't make any money from this, you know, fundraising or or um, sure, yeah. you know, being a, being a donor and a fundraiser. But you know, it, it's a lot of text messages, it's a lot of calls, it's some Zoom calls, and it's helping people organize and kind of strategizing with people. Hey, we're really trying to get you know more for this. This person really needs help. And then trying to understand, okay, that race and then who might be appropriate for that. It's remarkably more time efficient to not have to go to these events. In the end, I don't know if it's going to give these politicians the stickiness with the donors that the in-person event would. So if you went to an event with someone two years ago and they call you, you know, your likelihood of giving, I think, is going to be much higher than if you did a Zoom call with them two years ago and then they call you. Dan, I, I, I really appreciate it. This, is, this has been really, really interesting. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. Before I end this meeting for all of us, I just want to say thank you for coming to our Zoom show. Our host is Scott Bland. This call was facilitated and produced by me, Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. We'll talk to you all again next week. In the meantime, thanks for listening. For listening. For listening. For listening. For listening. For listening. Oh, yeah. The never-ending background loop. Well, that happens all the time, but you can, you know, you can be like, hello, 917 or whatever, 202, etc. You got to press mute. That usually gets solved by like, you know, a minute or two. So that is the most annoying sound in Zoom um, decorum.